welcome to Kochian Cast, the podcast where we just might evolve within the episode. <laughs> My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. Hey, what's going on, everyone? All right, so uh, welcome, Matt. Always good to have you here. Always happy to be here. Right, so this is the seventh week of the winter anime season. We'll, we will be covering every sports anime that aired between the 12th and 18th of February, uh, including the final episode of Long Riders. So, uh, exactly. So Long Riders finished up last week, actually, but we split up the episodes over two weeks. We're going to be covering the last one today, and then uh, hopefully in the near future we will be putting up a uh, review for all all 12 episodes for all the diehard Long Riders fans out there. <laughs> Yeah, all twelve of you, I assume. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just glad we got through it in one piece. Um, yeah, I know. Anyway, I think we can just dive right in to our first show of the week uh, with Yawapeda. Okay, cool. So this week we have a follow-up in the match between Naruto and Midosuji. Uh, Midosuji similarly bets to give up his position at Kyoto Fushima. And will offer to ride for Sohoku for the, uh, for, to ride for the Sohoku during the inner eye if he loses. So that way that there's an even exchange between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so they start racing. It's pretty even. They have a lot of back and forth for a while. And, uh, eventually Naruko pulls out pretty far ahead of Midosuji. And, uh, who should show up but Ishigaki, who is the former captain of Kyoto Fushima, who is no longer the captain, he's now retired, and he mentions to the two underlings there of Midosuji that, you know, he's he's actually about to evolve, and he does, and he starts riding super fast. And that's about what we get, and then it's back to being about even, Naruko realizes that he needs to shave away everything if he's going to be able to succeed against Midosuji, and he throws out his water bottle and his saddle, and uh, but in the end he loses and he does resolve to give up being a sprinter. And that's it. Did I uh, no. did I miss anything of importance there? No, nothing fundamental. It was a pretty straightforward race episode. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so Matt, why don't you just uh, what did you think? Well, I guess I'll I'll key in first on one comment you made uh, about how there was an even balance in terms of what they were betting. And so so Naruko was betting that he would give up being a sprinter and turn into an all-rounder, whereas Midosuji was betting that he would not race for his own team and he would join Sohoku at the inner high and support them. Right. So at that point, before the race even started, I knew that Midosuji was going to win because right. the image of him riding with Sohoku was so absurd and it was contradicted by the opening of the anime itself, which shows him <laughs> clearly racing for Kyoto Fushimi, uh, Fushima, excuse me, that you knew that wasn't going to happen. You know he's going to race in the inner high for his own team, so you know right. he's not going to lose this match. So that took some of the intensity out of it for me. I was Now, uh, real quick, I'm just going to counter that, because I honestly wasn't sure, because my thought was, I mean, really, how are they going to enforce this? Like, I could have seen it as something like Naruko wins, and then Midosuji is like, well, I guess I said that, but 
I'm not going to do it because really, how are you going to make me? Yeah, I I guess, but... I, but I do see what you're saying, is that at the very least, we know that this bet can't actually play out. Right, so for any faults that Yaopeta has, it, it isn't Minami Kamakura, right? So that <laughs> that's something that Minami Kamakura did, where they make a bet, and then the main character loses, and the bet has no consequences. But I don't think that would of actually course. happen in Yaopeta. Um, so that's why it kind of felt like it was clear what was going to happen. Also, everyone just sitting around and talking about how great Medosuji was about to be. Um, right. I also, and... yeah, I wasn't quite sure of what his evolution exactly entailed. Because as far as I could tell, the difference is that he, instead of just leaning over the handlebars, he now is leaning above the handlebars and he's keeping his back completely horizontal and i'm not totally sure what difference that makes right and if it does because my big takeaway from that was that midosuji is just he's pedaling faster now because now he has this newfound passion because now he's in a do or die situation so i guess now that he's found this passion within him for racing like this whole you know it's like i could actually lose this and like what does that mean for me now i guess that means he has a new drive in him to keep pedaling harder yeah i don't know it always feels it always know. feels it, fake whenever they try to explain why a character decides to pedal harder you know right <laughs> Yeah, and that's been a... I mean, that was a problem with Yawapeta from the past seasons. Uh, That being said, I got a real kick out of the imagery of his evolution. Of him active... Like, of that imagery of a naked version of him actually bursting out of his own skin. Yeah, it's like he's a cicada shedding his exoskeleton. He crawls out and and then throws away his own former... Skid. Yeah, it, it's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty intense scene. I'll give him that. And it's it's so goofy and over the top that it's you know, I it's hard to tell whether or not they want you to take this seriously, but it's done with such sincerity, but you can't help but just chuckle at the just at the sheer imagery. And that's what's fun about Yawapeta at times. Mm-hmm. And that's and that is something I enjoy from the series, and in that regard, the series does it very well. I did also enjoy the race, just in like there's not a whole lot you can do visually to really mix up cycling, and I think that's what makes again cycling such a tough sport to capture. And yet, so many shows keep trying. <laughs> well, because it's probably an easy sh- type of thing to animate, because you know there's not really a whole lot of different motions you have to uh, go through with these different characters. True. So I think that's where it comes from. Not only that, but you got them in different uniforms. So, you know, you kind of get that whole, like, like you know, that sort of skin-tight outfit. Uh, hmm. you no, know, for either gender. So it's like, it, it's kind of a win-win all around. It's cheap to make, and, you know, it kind of already appeals to that niche. Interesting, yeah. Uh, at least that's my theory on it. I have absolutely no evidence. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> but that's just kind of my, it's kind of my takeaway. But anyway, so... Anyway, but I think something that Yawapeta does do pretty well is that it does capture that sense of speed pretty well. At least it did in this episode. And I think it does that actually 
to its benefit due to a lower budget with the repeating backgrounds. Because when you see the same thing passing by over and over again, even if you know that they're not actually going in a loop that fast, it does kind of create that sensation in your head of, okay, wow, they're just going that fast that they keep seeing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I think they do a lot to actually... I think they work pretty well with what they have in that regard. And I do appreciate, again, I always do appreciate shows that do the long shots. Uh, and this one in particular where they had the, the side by side and just watching the background. Like again, it, it lets the series breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that despite Yellow Pita's tendencies from past seasons, it actually started and finished this race in one episode. Right. And I think we're going to start seeing a lot of that until we get to the inter-high, and I think that's going to be where the issue is, though. I'm doubtful we'll actually make it to the inter-high this season. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, I mean, I gotta say, whatever complaints you have, you can't complain about the witty repartee in this episode with lines like, (laughs) Are you holding back a poop? And the reply (laughs) from Midosuji being, Are you talking about yourself? And there was actually a lot more of that, but I just sort of wrote that down as representative of the the level of banter. Right. There's nothing particularly clever there. And it's one of those things where it feels like the, whoever the original author was, I don't know the name, but they were trying to write like what it would sound like for two high school students to have banter back and forth and trying to mock one another. And Either it's one of those things that just didn't translate well to English, or it's they're trying to sound like high school students, but they don't actually really remember what it was yeah. like. Yeah, either way, it's lose-lose, because if you're trying to make them sound kind of dumb, it's like, well, look, these characters are kind of dumb. It doesn't really do much for you. Um, and if you're trying to be witty, you messed that up, too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, speaking of the writing there, there was one other part I wanted to mention. Okay. Which, there was uh, Naruko mentioning uh, the fact that uh, Mito Suji is like he's carving away everything unnecessary or something. <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah, who would analyze that based off... <laughs> well, because you know what they're doing. They're trying to call back to the previous seasons with Mido Suji and how... You know, he has that whole thing about how he's so obsessed with winning that he's trying to basically, you know, shave off everything like his hair that's weighting him down. Yeah. Or in, and then like, they use the visual metaphor of him cutting off his own arm because he's whittling right. down everything unnecessary. And you're like, okay, well, that's an image. Right. And it's like, it's not something that I feel like Naruko would actually think. Yeah, would he think about, like, sure seems like Madosuji's cutting his arm off right now. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no! (sighs) You know, I just... Oh, there was one other thing, too, with Naruko, how his nose started bleeding because the race was so intense. Yeah, that was super forgettable and unnecessary. Right, like, I guess they were trying to capture the sheer intensity with this race that it's even wearing down Naruko's But is that a thing? I don't know. I guess it's one of those things we'd have to look up, but I don't really think... Like, I have never heard of that being an issue sure. with pedaling. And it's it's not even... With, like, running that mm-hmm. hard, for example. It's not even consistent with the show itself, because that never happens in the 
show earlier on, and there have certainly been their fair share of intense sprints, but... Uh, all right. Well, you want to move on to another show that exhibits intensity? Yeah, go for it, man. Go on to March Comes In Like a Lion. Okay, so, uh, March Comes In Like a Lion, episode 18. Uh, it starts off with uh, the, the study group gang over at Shimada's house, and they're trying to figure out uh, the best way f- for Shimada to have escaped the trap he was put in in the second match of the Lion King tournament, which he lost. Uh, they are they argue back and forth, and uh, Shigeta and Nikaido have an extended discussion of very detailed shogi strategy, uh, which is represented through two cats dressed up as Darth Vader and Yoda having a lightsaber <laughs> battle. Um, because yeah. the show says it makes more sense than their explanation. Um, <laughs> Ray. Uh, ends up saying that it's sort of pointless to argue about because by the time Shimada was in that trap, he had already lost. Uh, Based on that comment and his explanation, he gets invited back to Shimada's the next day to do a practice match just with him. Uh, And he gets pretty overwhelmed with Shimada's intensity. Uh, And Shimada discusses the fact that he wants to go back to his hometown in Yamagata and have his match there uh, because it's a place that doesn't want anything there, and that's why. Sort of left left <laughs> open-ended. Uh, Ray meets up later with his teacher, Hayashida, who gives him... They go over his report card, and Ray complains that he's still an average student and he didn't really do anything at school and he he didn't accomplish anything and Hayashida reminds him that he's living by himself paying his own rent working full-time and managing his own life which is more than most students can say and he should be proud of himself and then Ray cries because someone uh is proud of him and uh the the episode wrap wraps up with Ray getting a surprise visit from Hina and Momo who are worried about him from the last episode uh, they find out that Kyoko is his sibling, which makes them all calm down. But when they tell Akari, she gets more worried by it because she realizes what kind of household Ray was coming from, and she starts to understand why he's living by himself. Right. So, I have a question for you, okay. Matt. Is Squirrely Teacher the best te- show on television right now? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Sorry. That was, um very unexpected but i love <laughs> so basically yeah. in the uh, in the episode when uh, hina and momo go home uh momo talks about how she wants to watch this tv show uh, called squirrely teacher which is clearly like a kid's show and when they turn it on it's like at the opening theme and there's clearly several movie references <laughs> yeah. in there including i didn't recognize them all i did recognize lop yeah i saw that too uh, I think one was actually a parody of One Piece. I couldn't tell if it was One uh, Piece or Harlock. Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, um, I can't really describe it. Just go watch the segment on YouTube. Yeah, it was it was it was really funny. It was really funny. I hope we see more of Squirrely Teacher. <laughs> I like it better than the cat show. Yeah, I I have to I say agree. I agree. I'm glad they did away with that. <laughs> um. But aside from the glories that were Squirrely Teacher, uh, <laughs> what did what what stood out to you? 
I think what mainly stood out to me was the actual uh, isolated match that Ray and Shimada had. Yeah. Where, where he got that imagery of the waves crashing up against uh, Ray, and I know one of the I know one of the common criticisms of the show is that it does rely a little too heavily on the water symbolism, and I get that it does get a little tiresome at times. But I thought what was interesting about this was that it was ri- that the way this was drawn wasn't in the normal, just sort of normal standard animation style, but it's actually done as if though it's like a sumi e painting, like. Like a traditional Japanese painting, yeah. Um, and I think what that spoke, what that said to me was that shogi is an ancient game, much like chess, where so much strategy has been written about the game that it's nearly impossible now to actually come up with new strategies. Mm-hmm. And so, what it felt like to me was that by going up against. Uh, Shimada in this site in like basically at his max potential as it were was that like it felt like Ray was going up against just hundreds of years of shogi tradition and like unable to just keep it all straight just all this everything that he doesn't understand about the game that he thought he used to know mm-hmm. well yeah because and I just, they have the, the waves aren't just the typical imagery that Ray has of water rushing over him these, like you said, they they were drawn in a traditional style, and the waves were all composed of script. Uh, right. So because it was written out, it was clear that he was being overwhelmed by the words and by the thoughts and the ideas of Shimada. So that was what was overwhelming. It wasn't the depression waves. It was it was the shogi <laughs> waves, which was different. So it wasn't that he was like hurt by it. It was just that he couldn't he couldn't handle how much knowledge Shimada had that he right. didn't. And it, it just exhausted him so much that as soon as he gets home and into the bath, he basically falls asleep and actually almost drowns is what he says. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a little concerning, but I got, it's not really meant to be a serious moment. More along the lines of that this game took that much, so much out of him that it's like all of this, just all of the sheer intensity from this just drains him completely. Yeah. What did you, what did you take from... Shimada's ruminations on him, his hometown, where he's saying that, you know, the the town doesn't want to have anything there. It doesn't want rice paddies. It doesn't want schools or homes or people. It just wants mountains. So, there's a very recurring theme in a lot of Japanese literature and media. I shouldn't say literature, but, like, I actually read Japanese books. I mean, I read a lot of manga, sure. and I watch a lot of anime, and I play a lot of Japanese video games. That's not literature. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, it's a recurring theme I notice is that a lot of, a lot of it revolves around this sort of longing for a simpler time, uh, away from technology. Like, this goes as far back as stuff like, with authors like, uh, Osamu Tezuka, who sort of resented technology. Mm-hmm. And, like, even today, like, uh, directors like Hao Miyazaki or, uh, Beat Takeshi who just, who are so sick of the, of the city life, essentially, and they kind of long for a simpler time when they could just live out in the hills. And that was the same sort of sense I got from Shimada when he talks about how this, the city wants nothing. It's almost a Buddhist-esque view of, uh, of living, where you sort of live just sort of in peace of nature, because in Buddhism, 
wanting is what causes sin. Mm-hmm. It's the de- it's the desire for things. And so if this town wants nothing, that means it's so free from its own desires. Like it's essentially like Nirvana. That's interesting. I interpreted it very differently, but I I can see where you were you were coming from. Um he so I I based it on basically my my understanding was uh, centered on him saying that's why or that's exactly why at the end and you're like oh that's exactly why what why why is it that he insists that he needs to go back to Yamagata as part of the Lion King tournament um, and when he goes on and on about how the the sit the town is rejecting its human elements um, for for me that was that was a comment of more about urbanization where he was saying okay. that because of sort of rural depopulation uh, the the city was ceasing to be it was sort of if it was okay. evaporating uh, before his very eyes which is another recurring theme in Japanese literature by which we mean anime video games and manga um, <laughs> where we see there's uh, you know, everyone moving to the big cities, uh, but they're not being a sustained culture uh, in the country. So what, right. what I saw there was he wants to go back to Yamagata to do his part to revitalize uh, the, ta- the town he came from. Because the town is sort of fading away and he needs to bring people back because otherwise it's just going to keep shedding people. Okay. Huh. I hadn't even thought of it like that myself. I guess mainly because it's Shogi, and so I guess my general thought on the matter is, well, what's Shogi really going to do? But if the city is so so quiet and dying, then I can see how even, like, a simple Shogi game... Well, not like a simple Shogi game, but the big Shogi yeah. game could at least draw more attention. Right, it's a nationally televised tournament. Uh, so he'll right. bring people there physically for the tournament, and then also... He'll help to advertise the city by virtue of bringing the the national TV crews there. Okay. Um, okay. And so who who knows? Um, it's interesting that you bring that up because I you know I could see it either way. Um, and so yeah, no, it'll be interesting. Hopefully, uh, you got to imagine that he's gonna win the next two matches because at the end of the episode, it's revealed that Shimada ha- lost the third match, and it's. Um, first to four wins so he needs to win the next four matches in order to win the tournament uh but you have to imagine he'll at least win the next two so that they can go to yamagata uh i understand that this show has defied our expectations in the past but it feels like there's been enough build-up with him insisting that he needs to get back that you you're gonna see why Right, and it's interesting that you brought up the whole thing about how about how he was insisting to get back because something uh, I noticed was a comment that Shimada had actually stated about what he had mentioned that, like, yeah, I got a little too obsessed with trying to go back to Yamagata, and I was recalling back to when uh, Rei was going up against Shimada and his whole obsession with trying to beat Goto... Mm-hmm. So much so that he neglected his, like, actually trying to go up against Shimada. Right. 
And so it's kind of bringing up this whole recurring theme about characters who get so wrapped up in their own uh, little world that they tend to forget everybody else around them mm. or what they're actually going out to do. Right. Hmm. I think I think that was the most important section thematically in this episode. It was nice to see that moment he had with Hayashida. I, I thought it was a powerful moment where Hayashida recognized the many kinds of experience and the many kinds of right. learning that you can have. Uh, especially for a teacher to recognize, like, hey, you may not have done that much at school, your grades may not be very good, but, like, you're learning a lot more than a lot of the kids here. And sort of recognizing that, you know, when I was your age, I was pretty lazy, I didn't take care of myself, I pawned off all my chores on my parents, Uh, I just sat around and, like, played video games and hung out with my friends... And you don't do any of that. You're handling your own finances. You know, that's that's a kind of learning that few people do and sort of validating his experience as being just as legitimate as the traditional high school experience. So I thought that was nice. I think Ray needed it. Um, right. And it's kind of one of those... Because it's a very sympathetic moment, too, I think, for Ray, just on how... It's a really easy when you're having kind of a rough time to kind of miss the forest for the trees. Mm. Uh, like when you're when you're kind of when it feels like you're not getting your goals, yeah, it's kind of hard to you know take stock of like okay maybe I ha- maybe I'm kind of stuck where I was before, but that doesn't mean that I haven't actually made any progress. Now it doesn't mean that I haven't actually grown right. in any way. Right. And but it's and I thought that was really nice. That was a really satisfying character moment for Hayashida to bring up. Look, you're doing more than anybody else is doing right now. Don't beat yourself up over that, okay, man? Like, you gotta remember that you are, like, you're not just an average high school student. Yeah. And I think, and I think bringing that up, uh, kind of, I'm not gonna lie, kind of helps me out a little bit with my life as well. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of a nice little reminder of, like, okay, just because I'm not doing everything that I want to do just because I haven't gotten out of whatever type of work I want to do and actually, like, make a living doing what I want to do, that doesn't necessarily mean that I haven't done anything. Exactly, yeah. And it's so easy for all of us to feel like we're sort of trapped in a routine and not recognize that growth can happen inside a routine. Right. Um, yeah. The, the episode sort of wrap, wraps up with... The, the discussion between Ray and the sisters, um, squirrely teacher aside, I think the most important <laughs> part of that was Akari recognizing kind of for the first time why Ray lives by himself and what kind right. of uh, emotional state his his home life was that he felt like he had to leave. Um, so I think I think that makes the the connection and the empathy between her and Ray. A little more meaningful um and we'll just see how it plays out but i don't think there's a ton to comment on on it i did think it was interesting because i think this is the first time that ray has actually ever stated that kyoko is his sister yeah and he talked about it very matter of factly she's my older sister we're siblings you know how it is right and i did think it was kind of interesting that hina just took it like oh yeah no i get that okay no problem then Whereas Akari is just like, whereas, you know, Akari being a lot more experienced is like, eh, there's more going on there. That's, that was not a general sibling spat. Yeah, that was not normal. That's not how siblings are supposed to interact. You know, there's something deeper. 
Um, so I, I thought that was good. I thought it was nice that Ray knew how to make, you know, he doesn't need this six-year-old to worry about him, right? Right, um, exactly. Anyway, I thought it was good. I thought it was, it was, it was a strong episode, as always. I mean, March, for the last dozen episodes, has been turning in a consistent performance pretty much every week. And, you know, we've got four episodes left, which is hard to believe. Yeah, I know. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing oh. how it... And you know what, Matt? Guess what else we have? Four... Uh, we have All Out? I, I shouldn't have set you up like that. I was going to say there's four more matches potentially in the Lion King tournament, so I think that's what the next four episodes are going to be. Oh! Um, <laughs> but uh, you know what other tournament we have? We have the training camp tournament in All Out. Good transition, both of us. <laughs> um, so do you want to discuss the new episode? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this episode begins with a flashback for Suna. And we find out that he was brought in in a rugby family, apparently. That's a thing. Uh, because his father really wanted him to play rugby as a kid and was even looking into getting him into a rugby school. And that's where Suna met uh, Renpei. And so uh, we find out that Suna kind of envied Renpei or kind of idolized him because of, you know, how cool he was. You know, he was this sort of isolated, this isolated rugby player who only cared about winning. And after... Renpei kind of starts giving up during the match because he's like, what the heck do I care? This is just a practice match. Like, this doesn't matter. Uh, Suna kind of loses it with Renpei and is like, screw you, man. Like, you're not trying to do... Like, you're not even trying here. Which I thought would have been a little bit too over the top. But I appreciated that he brought it back to the rest of the team and where the rest of the team was congratulating him uh, for actually standing up to him. He's like, well, screw you guys. Like, you just keep passing off all your problems onto Renpei. And so, after that, uh, Suna keeps trying, and he's just about to give up hope, and then, was it Renpei who saved him, or was it no, just somebody else? No, it wasn't else? Renpei. It decidedly okay, was Okay, I thought Renpei. it wasn't Renpei. Yeah. Um, it was a different character on the team who kind of supports him after he gets a tackle from Sekizan, and they end up, uh, the team is kind of unified again without Renpei, and they keep trying, Eventually, they manage to lure away uh, Jinko's defense, and they're able to kind of go around them. They score another try, and but uh, Jinko is just too good. They come back, they score another try during... Is it during a scrum? Is that what the whole gathering is called? Well, it's... it's Yeah, so they, they kind of force... A, a, but it's a, it's a pseudo scrum, but they call it a maul. Okay, a mall, that's right. So during the mall, they get him involved in a mall, and then Gion gets the ball during the mall, <laughs> and uh, he ends up scoring a try during this, and now Jinko's pretty definitively up, and they're, they've pretty much won the game. Yeah. Well, yeah, and t time runs out at the very end, so they, right. they do win. Oh, okay, so I I thought there were still, like, a couple seconds. No, no, they, the, the very end, yeah, they have the whistle, so they, they won. Um... Yeah, it was fun. Uh, I it, I think it was mostly important for seeing the break between Sunao and Rinpei. Because right. up until now, it was all about Sunao sort of defending and protecting Renpei and trying to vouch for right. him. And Renpei realized, you know, the point at which you stop caring about victory is the point where Sunao gives up on you. Because even in the past, 
when Sunao would have to stick up for Renpei when he was being a jerk, Renpei still wanted to win. He just didn't care about anybody's feelings. At this point, Renpei's even given up on wanting to win because he's so tired of having to work with these people. Um, right. But Sunao is the one who says, like, I know these guys don't work together very well. I know they're all jerks, but I don't care. I like them, and I want to go to Hanazono, so we're going to go whether Renpei's with us or not. So he, he almost right. unifies them despite Renpei. Right. And I think that was an interesting point to... Was that they're better as a team because they got rid of their of their star player? Yeah. Like it wasn't about because a lot of sports series, what they end up doing is that they end up uh, sort of inspiring this this defeated player, this defeated like great player, but he's just you know he's lost it, and so and that's what really brings the team together. In this, they actually managed to bring the team together in spite of this character. And I think that's what made it work. Yeah. Hmm. So, so I guess for, like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, but effectively what it's saying is it's more, it, like, you can have really talented players, but that's not going to matter if they're not all working as a cohesive unit here. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the point. You know, it, like, with a team sport, that's the lesson that every team has to learn, you know? Uh, even if Jinko's not the best team, they don't really have any single ace player they're able to win because of how they work together. Um, I also liked the little redemption that they had for Oharano uh, towards right. the end where he got to get back on the field, even though he hadn't played in a while. Uh, he organized the team really strategically. He came up with some good ideas. People listened to him, and it... It worked out. Uh, my favorite line, though, was when he said, Guillaume, you need to run 100 times harder. And uh, Guillaume responds, he's like, I mean, maybe I could run 10 times harder? Well, no, that's too much. <laughs> could I run five times harder? <laughs> like, he had this, where Oharano was super hyperbolic, which is typically Guillaume's thing. Um, but out of nowhere, right. Guillaume's like, I don't think I can run that much harder. Like, I'm running pretty hard. I mean, like, what are the logistics here? I mean, let's be realistic here, Oharno. Yeah, could I run five? I don't know. How much more, <laughs> how much harder do you think I can really run? Um, so I, I thought I thought that was fun. I, I liked the involvement of Ebumi. Uh, I, I liked Ebumi sprinting past Renpei after Renpei had right. given up. I thought that was a great scene. It was super illustrative of where he was at mentally that he just di didn't even try to catch him um right i don't know there were a lot of good hits it was it was a really well done action episode yeah there is one really great moment of i don't know if it's character growth or character recognition but when sekizan tackles suna there's this moment afterwards where you know he kind of helps uh suna up and sort of kind of like wipes him off a little mm -hmm. bit and what I really liked about that is that it felt like an acknowledgement of Sekizan to Suna. Like, because these are two characters who have been in very similar situations. Like, Sekizan used to have to deal with this with a team that just wasn't motivated. He only had one ally in this, which was, uh, uh, oh my god, I can't think of his name. Hachioji? Uh, yeah, yeah, ha uh, Hachi. <laughs> and, you know, he, there was kind of this moment of recognition from Sekiz on Tasuna where he's just like, I've been there before, man. It's okay. I, I interpreted and that totally I, differently. 
Um, oh, really? I mean, maybe not totally differently, but I with with that scene, I thought it was more of a a recognition of the difference between Sekizan and Renpei. That they're both sort of the ace of their team. But Sekizan is an ace who is courteous to his opponents and who supports his teammates. And he, that was supposed to be a contrast where Suno was realizing, like, just because you're an ace doesn't mean you have to be like Renpei. You know, there's other ways to be the ace. Right. See, but I guess I kind of took it differently just on the base, just because of how... About how, like... I know how Sekizan actually had, like... This is essentially the same situation with Suna that we know occurred in Jinko's past. Well, yeah, no, where... I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, and I think they can both be true, but I wasn't, I wasn't oh, okay, thinking fair about enough. it that way. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, no, but that, that's interesting. Was that around the time... I'm trying to get my uh, sequence of events here straight in my head. After that, did... Uh... Was that around the time when Suna finally gave up on Renpei? I think it might have been shortly before that. Okay, okay, that would make sense then. Um, but I don't, I didn't have the difference in my notes exactly. Anyway, but yeah, it was, uh, it was either before or after that. I can say that confidently. <laughs> it happened sometime during the that, episode. Good. I'm glad we're in a that. I'm sure of. Um, yeah. So I mean, so Ten- Tenjiku, the team that they just beat, was they were in the opening animation. You know, they've had their few episodes. Where do you think the uh, rest of the season is going to go from here. I think from here we're going to get a setup to more uh, during this uh, Hanazono, or not Hanazono, during the training yeah. camp. I think we're going to get a setup for another big team for them to play. Uh, or we probably will get one more big game out of them to kind of close out the season. And then I'm guessing this is all going to be set up so that they can finish up, so they can actually go to the Hanazono prelims next season. Yeah. I hope they play... Because I, I, I... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, I just, I think we have one more big game, especially because we have, like, five episodes left, yeah. I would say. So I think we got one more big game against some team that we don't know about yet. Hmm. I was I was wondering whether they were going to have their big game against Ryoen before they end the training camp. Like, they might do some montage stuff of other games they play, and then their last game in the training camp is against Ryoen. Oh. And they get put in their place again and see, like, oh, how far we have to go to actually win the prefecture. So they have this match where they actually play the best team in the prefecture, realize uh, their shortcomings, and then they spend the next season going through uh the the prefecture you know the the national prelims to get back to play rio in again right because this is going to be the game that sets up rio and as being the big rival because we because there's going to be something that happens during that game that's going to kind of jostle rio and be like oh this is a team we should maybe look out for that nobody else is yeah i mean Gion's going to evolve within the match i'm calling it right now well obviously (laughs) Um, speaking of which, uh, so, I, there was one, I, again, there was another nice little character moment there with Gion getting the try after the mall. Yes. And I think what I liked about it was just Gion's sheer confusion at first. Well, he never held the ball before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He had never held the ball. The way he does it, it's not even, like, a normal tackle. He just sort of, 
gently places the ball down because he he has the ball and he has no idea. Mm-hmm. Like this is something that's so surreal to him that it's like he's almost in complete disbelief because this is everything he's been working towards is being useful to the team. Mm-hmm. He had, but he and just I, sort of collapses. <laughs> yeah, sort of. He's just like, uh, I have the ball. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so I guess, and even afterwards, he's still very shocked about it. Like, and I think what I like, it, it felt a lot more natural than because ju- they do do the big like emotional outburst from Gion afterwards. Right. But I think that pause beforehand for Gion to kind of collect himself first and some, and finally come to the realization like, oh my god, my work is paying off now. Yeah, I'm actually a member and, of this like, team. Like, I am actually a member of this team that people are trusting yeah. with the ball. And, like, everything I'm doing is keeping me on the field and letting me play with these people. And, again, and... All Out is good enough that it didn't tell you any of that. It showed you. Um... Right, exactly. Just through Gion's facial expressions, just his sort of dumbstruck look. Mm-hmm. Just being completely taken off guard by all of this. Yeah, that was good. Uh, speaking of which, I was completely taken off guard by the tone shifts in Tiger Mask. <laughs> um, hey, you made it work. Yeah, that was better than some of my recent transitions. Um, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so we had Tiger Mask episode 19. It starts off, uh, this is going to be a Takuma-centric episode, uh, where we begin the Hell in the Hole, which we've heard a lot about, uh, but don't totally understand. Uh, the episode starts off with all of the wrestlers who will be competing sitting in a cave prison. Uh, and uh, Odin is one of them, and uh, they all get letters. And Odin gets a letter from his family, and he opens it, and there's wheat inside. And he thinks about Catherine and how much he misses her. And she she calls him Henry and tells him that she, she misses seeing him and wishes him well. Uh, and then the coach says that if they tell their family that they're imprisoned in the tiger's den, he'll destroy their communication. And they say, thanks, coach. Okay, bye. Then um, we cut back to Japan. And uh, Uncle Kintaro doesn't recognize that Haruna is spring tiger. And he casually <laughs> mentions that he promised her dead mother that he'd never let her wrestle. <laughs> sorry, sorry, go yeah, on, go on. No, it deserves it. Um, and then we see Tiger Mask is on another date with Ruri, and he won't tell anyone about it for some reason. Uh, and they walk past the two-star Italian wrestla- restaurant <laughs> that is inside a wrestling stadium? Um... I thought it was a mall that they. Oh, at. it was a mall. Yeah, e- it was a mall, and that actually does make sense. But I'll let I'll let you. Go. I just liked the 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 con- I didn't totally understand where it was. Um, I liked the casual aside of here's a two star Italian restaurant. It's like, oh boy, we have just just say it's an Italian restaurant because they were talking about where they wanted to go eat, and they're like, just say that they have an Italian restaurant here. Why do you care that it's two stars? Well, I mean, if it's two Michelin stars, that is pretty significant. Um, but like, it was, it, yeah, it, it didn't add anything. I mean, the whole, basically, I'm, I'm going to skip out on all the 
back and forth with Rory and Tiger Mask on a date. And by Tiger Mask, I mean Nauta, because he doesn't have his mask on, because none of it added anything. Um, but the interesting part of the episode, which was legitimately interesting, was the Hell in the Hole tournament, which uh, consist, uh, took up most of the runtime, thankfully. Um, so it turns out Hell in the Hole is a secret underground wrestling match that GWM hosts. Uh, it is a fight to the death with multiple competitors. Uh, in this case, there's nine different wrestlers who are all released in an open area and they have to fight their way to the top of a mountain uh, to get free. And so they are allowed, on the way, they're allowed to beat up any of the other wrestlers in the area, they're allowed to use illegal moves, they're allowed to kill each other, and any time they uh, knock out one of the other wrestlers, they earn a weapon from a, fl- a flying drone will drop them a weapon. Um, and this is basically, uh, it, it exists for underground betting, and rich people come to watch this uh, no-holds-bar wrestling match. Um, you see this introduced with all these rich people talking about it, Mr. X is introducing the contest, and then out from nowhere comes uh, Tiger the Great the Third who is apparently the boss of GWM. It just looks like an enormous man wearing a white tiger mask. Um, And uh, all the rich people, before they start off, all the rich people laugh at Kevin uh, because of how weak they assume he is. And then the match starts. Uh, They're released out into the open. Kevin has to fight Black Python. Uh, he bites him in the arm, and it starts bleeding yes. in a very dramatic sequence. Uh, he ends up teaming up with Takuma and taking out Black Python. Um, and then uh, Red Death Mask appears. He uh, has to chase another wrestler away who's running away because he's fighting Red Death Mask. He, they uh, run into another wrestler who tries to team up with Red Death Mask, but uh, Red Death Mask decides to just kill them both so that he can get the two weapons instead of one. And for his efforts at double homicide, Red Death Mask is awarded with a folding chair and a table <laughs> to carry around with him. Um, <laughs> uh, separately, Odin... Uh, runs into Billy the Kid Man, uh, still a great name, and they they remember how they used to be tag team partners back in the day, and they commit to never betraying each other. Um, at the end of the episode, they run into Takuma and Kevin and square off for a tag team battle. Um, again, I can't seem to do a short summary of Tiger Mask because there's just there's just too much unbelievable content in every episode. Right. So, um, real quick, I just want to begin. So, uh, Black Python and Phantom are dead, right? I don't know if Black Python is. Uh, they su- they suplex him onto solid rock. He's dead. It, it just was- I don't care it, if the show tries to tell me he's survived. It just wasn't clear from how they animated it. Other characters were more clearly animated as being killed. Um... Right. And I think it's because of who is doing the slam. I don't think they want to show Takuma killing anyone. Of course. So I don't think he's dead. 
I do think okay. that the people that Red Deathmask fought and the guy that Odin fought are all dead. See, because I don't know if they're going to do that with Odin or not. Like, Odin, because Odin was being portrayed as being sympathetic at the beginning of the episode because, you know, he just wants to go back home. And, uh, like, yes, that man clearly looks to be dead because that man got sli- slammed onto a... got his head slammed into a pile of rock. Yeah, and then he bled and out of his face. bleeding profusely yeah. and whited out his eyes. Yeah... Yeah. Uh, but that being said, I also don't know if they're going to go through with Odin actually killing that guy. Like, maybe he survived just barely and is unconscious now. Because other, because the preview for the next episode seems to j- suggest that they're all going to team up, up against uh, Red Death, Death Mask with his mighty chair and table. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, you might be right. Plus, I mean, didn't Ryu get his face crushed already? Yeah, I mean, Ryu got his face crushed. I mean, so did Tiger Mask to an yeah, extent. Yeah, and they're fine, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think anybody's actually dead outside of maybe the people Red Death Mask fought. Because Red Death Mask is not a sympathetic character in the least. Yeah, I mean, he face-slammed Ricardo off a cliff. So... Right. <laughs> he literally lifted him up by the face... And just decided, and as he was begging for his life, jumped up and slammed him, like, off a cliff into the ground. Yeah, so that was a choice. Um, anyway, I, I think overall this was what we want from Tiger Mask. Right, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, this is just, I mean, I'm not gonna say it's good, but it's so goofy that it's just fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's absurd, like, the the idea that people would voluntarily imprison themselves and do like you know fight to the death on a mountain just in order to increase their rank in GWM. I want to see GWM go and get permits to have their underground cave prison. Yeah, yeah. like <laughs> why do they have to be imprisoned? <laughs> like I want to see how, where they got the permits to actually build that. Well, yeah. Also, there were like offhanded remarks about how two of the guys fighting in here were traitors to GWM, and that's why they were there. So, like, right. what what happens in GWM if you lose a match to Tiger Mask, or? in any other way fail to live up to their expectations you get put in cave prison and fight to the death like how are they recruiting enough people for that to be sustainable like how is no one caught on that wrestlers keep disappearing under mysterious circumstances i mean their headquarters is in seattle like (laughs) they're not in the middle of nowhere Right, no, they're not in some, they're not, like, in, like, a third world country. Exactly. Where, you know, maybe they could do that, like, off to the side, you know, kind no. of get the government, nope. you know, kind of bribe the governments, the sort of, uh... Washington State. <laughs> yeah, Washington State. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah, it's, it's special. Um... It's pretty great. And I just, I love the fact that they're, we're going for, like, these high society types. Like, mm, yes, I can't wait to watch the barbarians fight tonight. Yeah, I know. Oh, lovely interview. Yeah, it's so absurd. I like, yeah, they're all, like, they're all critiquing Kevin Anderson, you know? Oh, how will Kevin Anderson I just, do? I love how they have all these different splashes for all the different wrestlers. And, you know, they get, they have, like, their pictures pop up on the screen, and then it's, like, it's this very high-production affair. Like, Billy the Kid Man, Red Death Mask, Kevin. <laughs> Just Kevin. Why can't he ever get a fighting Just Kevin. Game? Yeah. It, it's like Cher. You know, you don't need another name. Well, yeah, and it's interesting, too, because Billy the Kid Man got unmasked, but other guys were defeated by Tiger Mask, and 
they're they still get to keep their masks and identity but takuma wrestles as takuma not tiger the dark which doesn't make any sense because there's no reason to do that because we still know that tiger mask doesn't know that takuma is tiger the dark yeah exactly i mean if anything it makes it easier for people to figure out who tiger the dark is because they have the same hair but clearly having the same hair flowing out from behind your mask (laughs) has no effect in this world and no one can tell or the same like the same hair the same build yeah exactly same voice anything (laughs) um oh side note I just had a thought. Go for it. What are the odds that Tiger the Great the Third is Fukuwara Mask? Oh! What if that's why his face was revealed back in season one? Oh! I'm sorry. I'm really excited. I want that to be the case. I desperately want that to be the case. If Fukuwara Mask is Tiger... The Great, the Third, which, by the way, is a phenomenal <laughs> uh, This series will have been worse. Oh, yeah. Like, the idea that they would be setting like, that up. Yeah. Like, the fact that this series could actually have the foresight to do that. Yeah. There's no way, but I desperately want it to be true. <laughs> Speaking of setting things up in this episode, there was one other... So, during... I know we kind of decided that we didn't want to talk about the date, but there was one thing I wanted to bring up about it. Was during the conversation where Naoto is trying to hide his identity for where he's been getting so much money from. Yeah. uh, Because he offered to pay for Rory's meal because, you know, they're at a decently nice restaurant. I assume a two-star Italian (laughs) place. Uh, And... uh, and Naoto brings up like, oh yeah, I've been getting more money. And then Rory's like, oh, I've been getting a lot of busy, at, uh, getting a lot of business at work. And he brings up, yes, I work on, for, on uh, foreign bikes now. Mm-hmm. And I just can't help but think that that's going to come back somehow to bite him in the butt. Like Rory is going to have a situation where she has a bike that needs to be fixed, and it's a foreign bike, so she thinks, hey, I'll go take it to Naoto yeah. because he'll know what. To hey, do. But he's never worked on a bike before. Right, exactly, because he doesn't know how to do bikes. Because he... that's just his cover, because that's what Kentaro used to do before he joined. Right, exactly. And uh, one other, oh god, just another thing that just occurred to me about this date. So there's this moment where they're out, you know, they're out in the mall and they're talking about what they want to eat, and Naoto brings up uh, anything but wild game. <laughs> You're not gonna find that at a mall. Yeah, like you had to sit there and think about things he didn't want to eat anymore, and he's like, "Well, I don't want to eat bears." Like, <laughs> okay, so we've narrowed down the yeah, choices. Yeah, but like the best, the best part with that was Rory's response, where she said, "Oh wow, I didn't know you were such a foodie." <laughs> critics are going out no that's the whole thing they're going up they're going to bear tacos because that's the new thing exactly like is is that does that make you a foodie that you don't want to eat bears i don't know um speaking of something that we have to bear with uh do you want to go yeah do you want to go through manami kamakura i really don't okay do you want to do it anyway i'm going to okay 
Okay, so in Minami Kamakura, we have the girls racing. <laughs> um, <laughs> the bear is in the lead, <laughs> and is apparently leading the entire pack. <laughs> um, so and they managed, but don't worry, the girls managed to catch up because people ahead of them crashed. <laughs> Because these girls can't earn anything! <laughs> and apparently, so they figure out how to do the, the windshield, because they had it explained to them before. Yeah. Which is, of course, the one technique that exists in cycling anime. Yep, ride in a straight line. Ride in a straight line, and, and rather than, you know, switching off, no, they just make Higa do it the entire time. <laughs> yep, because she's the one who knows how to ride. And apparently we find out that the uh, the bike store owner, uh, Corone, had apparently informed some of the other teams about some of the some of the intricacies of the court because they got her food, but don't worry, she also told the other girls, because, because uh, Shiki and... I don't remember her name, I don't care... Uh, she, they were like, hey, why did you do that? And they're like, and she's like, well, don't worry, I gave them information. I don't know. And, apparent, and so they know, the, apparently they know how to turn well now because of the information that Corona gave them. And, uh, they end up in the end catching up to the third years. They still have to beat frickin' Kuma. And, uh, they all decide that they are going to look... At, like, they're all going to form a giant windshield so that Higa and Hiromi can race on ahead and catch up to Kuma. And that's where the episode ends. Yeah, so there's a lot of issues here. Um, right. The First and foremost being that a girl from the cosplay club who is dressed up like a teddy bear has been right. winning the entire race... In a costume on right. a fixed gear bicycle, while yelling the word "kuma" or "bear" over and over, and leaving all the other first years behind, um, this is a girl dressed up in a bear costume, winning by herself uh, on a mommy bike. Let's talk about that. Uh, and no one can catch up because reasons. This is the worst freaking show. Yeah. Um, and, like, why do I care about Mr. Bear? And why are they calling it Mr. Bear? Why is he the rival? And you know Mr. Bear's a girl. Like, it's a student at a girl's high school. Why is it, why is it called Mr. Bear? Why? Because she's playing a character, I guess. But why are you acknowledging As soon that? as this character was introduced, I just want to bring this up. As soon as I heard that character go Kuma 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 over again... I knew that this was going to become an, a horribly annoying mascot character who is going to have no other trait but just to constantly shout Kuma. Yeah. Like, this character has nothing else. It's basically... It's there to get a laugh, I guess, out of Otaku who like getting jokes run into the ground. Like, that was barely even a joke to begin with. Yeah. And the fact that this is being treated as, like, a serious character that we need to catch up to... It just... Oh my god, I hate this show. Well, yeah, so another issue is the fixed-gear bicycles, or the mommy bicycles, as they call them. Um, the only way for anyone to be keeping up on a fixed-gear bicycle is if you are incredibly strong. Uh, right. Because road bikes are 
built for racing and you can shift gears and they're more uh they're they're aerodynamically designed they're lighter they're easier to get moving at a quick pace so the only way to catch up is if you're incredibly strong and just exceptionally stronger than the people who are riding the road bikes um but no it's just other random first years who are completely keeping pace with these girls riding road bikes like that just i don't care who you are that would not happen Right, and not only that, but it's like, okay, so we have this whole... I, I was going to bring this up during the summary, because it's like, because Hiro, Hiroko, who apparently is going to stay as a character, yeah, I guess, like the captain of the swimming team yeah. who really wanted to get Iga on the team, she's apparently able to catch up to them on a mommy bike, because I guess, because she's an actual athlete, and these girls are terrible. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it to them, I guess. Yeah, I know, but it's like, this doesn't... No, none of it makes sense because if this would if this took place in real life, even if they started like a lap behind, they'd still win easily because right. like, there's a girl in a bear costume who too. physically cannot ride should not be able to ride a bicycle like that. Right. And the fact that we actually ha- it's like I get that they're trying to play this up as a joke. And honestly, the funny thing is that like the fact that they're playing up this character as a joke eliminates any sort of tension. Yeah, exactly. About this entire match because it's like there's no way that the joke the dumb joke character is going to win. That's a character you have once like sort of start off the match and like, "Oh no, what are we going to do?" And then like they have some dumb gag where they fall over because the suit's too heavy and then everybody laughs and it's like, "Oh, that Mr. Bear." Mm-hmm. But no, this is the character, like, okay, so for example, like in Tiger Mask, Fukawara Mask, they had the foresight to keep Fukawara Mask as a joke. Right. Until, until he turns out to be Tiger the Great the Third, but yeah. Well, naturally. Yes. (laughs) Of course, of course. Um, so, but it's like, and the the worst thing is that this character is still, like, this character is in the opening with the girls. I don't think Kuma is going to disappear after this race. I am legitimately afraid that he is not going to go away. (laughs) No, he's not. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to linger so so much on Kuma. I just want to point out just how much I hate this character. It came through, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I I want to acknowledge one uh, interaction. There's... I, they they have a booth set up where they have announcers de- describing the race as it goes. Um, so they have one uh, racer, and then the principal of the school is doing color commentary. And so they ask the principal, uh, "All right, so we're getting near the end. Who do you think is going to win the race?" And the principal says, "Well, what's important is for everyone to do their best." And uh, give everything they've got, and they'll all be sure to make a fantastic memory. And it's like, right. but I mean, I just asked who you think is gonna win. Like, <laughs> I asked you a question, and you're like, well, they'll all have good memories. It's like, it's not the question I, mean, I asked. I, guess, <laughs> I mean, I guess you could almost reason that as being the fact that. This is the principal of the school. If she says who she thinks is going to win, then she's playing favorites with one of the clubs or something. I guess. Yeah, it was just funny. But, I mean, let's face it. The reason why she said that is because the ga- the series wanted to give us this great speech about how, oh, what's really important is that they try their hardest. Yeah, and they have lots of new experiences. Right, but, I mean, it doesn't matter because the girls are going to win in the end anyway. And we still don't have Sandy McDougal! I know. I mean, we have... What? 
five episodes left? Yeah, five episodes left, and we still don't have the full cast. I know. And she's, it's not like she's gone. We've seen her before. She's at the school. She just hasn't spoken right. yet. Yeah, I know. Um, but at the very least, we got some very solid advice from AOP this episode. Yeah. Uh, we had some advice on how to avoid broken bikes. Uh, the major catch is to just check your bike before you ride. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, AOP. Um... Uh, this this might break you, but we still need to talk about long riders. <laughs> I know. It, yeah, let's just talk about okay. it. Okay, so this is the final episode of Long Riders, hopefully forever. Um, <laughs> it starts, starts off, uh, Sayaki, you know, your favorite character, Sayaki. <laughs> <laughs> She's basically the cold open character at this point. Yeah, so it's the girl who sits next to Amy in a class. Uh, turns out she went to Alpaca store and bought a bike. Alright. Sure. Um, and then the, the girls are riding together, and they realize that the route they're on has uh, stops where they can get food, and Amy freaks sure. out because it's a biking paradise. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> then they they have a ways to go on this route, and instead of having dialogue or having to think of some kind of plot nuance, uh, the show just plays the ending theme song over a montage. <laughs> I think it's actually the opening theme that they played there. Because they didn't actually have the opening theme play this episode, so I'm pretty sure that was the opening theme. To your credit, it doesn't matter. It's all incredibly forgettable. Was it the opening theme? It doesn't matter. Yeah. You're probably right. I wrote down ending theme, but uh, again, <laughs> n nothing in this show matters. Um, the... Uh, they they talk for a while about uh, actual brevets, and uh, we realize that Amy is not sure how one would put a bike on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> and so she visualizes having to strap the bike on top of the plane, because she's never heard of storing luggage on a plane before. Um, so that's sure. a special moment. Um, anyway, they, w they wake up on the second day of their ride, and uh-oh, it's raining. Um, turns out weather forecasts don't exist, so they're all surprised by this. Uh, <laughs> they're not sure whether they can ride, but then Amy says that she wants to, so they do. <laughs> and Amy... F and they know how to do yeah, it! Yeah, and they know how to do it by buying coats. And then Amy falls over, but gets back up and is fine from there on. It's uh, Then they all sit around and, and comment on how good at cycling Amy is and how much motivation she has. Uh, and they, they finish up the ride, and Amy reveals to them that she has always wanted to ride a bike, but she was afraid because she thought she was weak, but now she isn't weak. And the episode wraps up with Amy riding by herself and running into Sayaki, who has a flat tire. And now Amy is the one helping Sayaki change her flat tire amidst the cherry blossoms as they fall. 
and she asks Sayaki to join all of us. Which is kind of like, are you recruiting me to join a cult? Or, yeah, I don't know what the, like, I don't know who all of you are. I've never met any of your friends. Um, you can't just use a pronoun. Um, and uh, the series ends with the following phrase from Amy, which is special and worth uh, repeating verbatim. My cycling life, which began with a little miracle... Looks like it's going to continue. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's not going to die. But, like, what little miracle did it begin with? Was it seeing a bike? Because that's oh, how right. the like, first time... The funny thing is that we even flashed back yeah. to the beginning of the series where she wanted to. It wasn't a miracle. She talked with Aoi about wanting to ride. That wasn't a miracle. And, it, it, like, Aoi is someone she's known since high school... This isn't some stranger she ran into. She's just like, hey, do you think I could ride a bike? And she's like, yes. What a miracle. <laughs> like, also, I just love the audacity of this show, which had had such production delays that, like, the last two episodes didn't air until two months late, that they were, that they would dare say you're cycling life is going to continue like oh no it's over do they really think this show is gonna get renewed how dare they (laughs) (laughs) so in their defense i'm sure they had it plotted out ahead of time like they probably had a storyboard for how they wanted it to end and they weren't gonna they weren't about to deviate from i get it it's just so funny yeah i know i know it's terrible i mean you're right and the, th- the thought that this show could get a sequel, it scares me a little bit. After seeing Madami Kamakura, I'm much more terrified that that's going to get a second season. I know. But, I know. I don't want to talk about either of these shows ever again. I'm just glad that we don't have to except for the for the, uh, for the the review for Long Riders now. Yeah. Uh, something I did want to bring up is that uh, during this little uh, discussion with Saiki that Amy has... She asks uh, Saiki what got her into cycling, and she uh, Saiki mentions, like, well, I saw you talk with such joy about cycling in class. Did you guys know each other beyond just, hey, what's going on? I know. Like, they randomly chat briefly when they get to class. Right. Like, they're not friends. They are barely acquaintances at best. Yeah, exactly. Like, in... Amy had such a strong effect on Saiki's life that she decided she wanted to get into, like, invest in cycling. Yeah, and Saiki didn't even tell her because they're not friends. So they randomly right. ran into each other and then they're like, oh, do you want to join our group that isn't the college cycling club still for some reason? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. It's, it's not good. And, but I'm glad to see that the series ended like how we called it. Yeah. Yeah, well, with Saiki. Yeah, with Saiki eventually joining the club. Yeah. And I guarantee you this is how Minami Kamakura is going to end. Sorry, I'm going to drop Minami Kamakura now. Um, I will talk... They had to get one more joke about Saki bringing too much food. Yeah, like, why is that... Or buying too much food. Yeah, it's it's still... It's working, guys. It's a really good joke. It's It's a good joke. I... Sure. Alright, so... Um, oh, uh, one thing okay. I wanted to bring up during the montage, by the way, they had this insi- this this, uh, this section where they were getting a picture taken by some random person, 
And what struck me about this person is that they had a very distinct design. Like, not somebody... Like, not just a random character that somebody would have drawn to, uh, you know, just like, okay, we just need a random person in the series to, like, take their picture or whatever. Just some random uh, stranger. Like, she had, like, a very distinct, like, double, like, twin-tail action going on. And... I'm just very confused by why they would even bother designing this character. I was wondering if maybe this character was meant to be, like, a callback to, like, a different series that they had worked on? Well, you can ask the question, but I don't have an answer for you. No, no, I know. I just... I was just very taken aback by this character. I don't know. The series has very little interesting to discuss. Yeah, so we look forward to doing a, a series review where we do exactly that. Um, okay. <laughs> um, speaking of very little to discuss, do you want to talk about TQ? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, as usual, this season is a little bit different, actually. I said as usual, and then, <laughs> and then it's a little bit different, yeah. but, you know. Surprising the audience. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> That's what TQ does. Uh, this season is starting to incorporate more of the side characters as being, uh... It, like, they're starting to incorporate more of the side characters as part of the main cast. Like, uh, Kondo and uh, Tomarin and Anakov are now officially part of the opening as some of the girls that are hanging out with them. And they show, they're showing up a little bit more frequently in each episode. Uh, for example, like, in the... Uh, in, like, the season closer, for example, like, the entire season closer is actually about those three plus, uh, Marimo traveling to Namek. Yeah. And interacting with, uh, Namekians who are writing the Mighty Moon Worm, which I think is actually a reference to Dune. Oh, is it Doom? Oh, okay. Or, yeah, Dune. Dune. Because, uh, I believe Dune was actually very popular in Japan, the movie, when that came out. Sure. Like, it kind of tanked in the U.S., but apparently it has a cult following over in Japan. I believe it. <laughs> and so I think that's... There's a section where the Namekian... I, it's not technically Namek. It's like, Namek. Obviously, they don't say... Yeah, it just... You take one look at the planet, it's like, yeah, that's Namek right there from Dragon Ball. And, uh... But they're, to ride to another house, they're riding on a giant worm, and I'm pretty sure that was, like, a reference to Doom. Okay. Uh... Anyway, but yeah, it's those three characters involved with it, and uh, Tomarin actually uh, is able to translate for them, even though the alien actually speaks in Japanese. I do feel like there was a missed opportunity there to not have Tom as being the translator, but that's oh, beside the point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, otherwise, though, we do get a couple of episodes. We get a couple more experimental episodes from this season. Like, we have an entire episode that's pretty funny that's meant to be a parody of Cinderella, where it's Yuri as Cinderella, and uh, Nasuno is the 245 Sept sisters, yeah. uh, and who torture her by making her trip on extension cords. Yeah, and eat ice cream with a plastic spoon. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very, it's, it's not very fun, man. Yeah, it, it's hard when it's frozen. Uh, yeah, I know, it's, you don't get enough, ten, you don't get enough, uh, tension I there. Know. Uh, and then there's another episode as well where we have uh, we have a callback at, to the uh, to a previous episode in the first season with uh, Kondo's grandfather who uh, who broke his arm and so he can't make udon anymore and because he's strained at bowling. Which, if you recall, at his old at his uh, shop in the first season, he had a bowling alley yeah. in his. So it, it, we have we it comes full circle there. Right. It's, it's it's building on the joke. 
Matt, one thing you missed uh, with the Cinderella episode is that uh, once Cinderella goes to dance with the prince, the prince says that he needs to find that girl so he can marry her, and a soldier says, Are, are you insane? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then he is executed for having a rational remark. <laughs> yeah, I made note of that. I think it wasn't even so much he asked, are you insane? He actually asked, are you sane? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, don't, and there is one stepsister who is super buff. Yeah. She's just Nasuno, but she's super buff. Uh, and then uh, there, there's another great episode where it takes place, like, a, like it's at a children's live show at like a supermarket, which is something that happens a lot in Japan. Yeah. And, uh, so, and all the characters are having to play, because it's, uh, it's a, we have, uh, see Bobby, the former, the, the former Navy SEAL, who's also now a preschool principal from, uh, I think the first season as well, oh, the second season. And, uh, they have to, they have to stall for time while Orange Man shows up, and so, uh, but all the kids are really bored and none of them want to actually be there, and they all complain that they want to play house instead. And at the very end, the hero, the orange hero shows up, but then tears her ACL, and the episode ends. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, th- I think my favorite is actually the first one from this season. Oh, okay. where they all tried to do the high jump outside, and right. I don't know why, uh, but something about uh, how Conway cannot do the high jump and she keeps jumping <laughs> under the bar <laughs> where, like and it it ramps up where at the end of the episode uh the three girls are all yelling at yuri because she's sitting in class and they see her and they want to distract her so they're yelling yuri john yuri john and she's like stop i'm in class stop yelling at me um and konoe tries to jump up to the second floor to uh, mess with her, but she jumps straight into the wall in front of her because <laughs> she can't jump. I don't know. It's just there's a great visual gag during that episode. It's like a split second. I don't even understand where it comes from, but there's a very brief shot of just Konoe with giant legs, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to figure out how to do the high jump. There's I high jump, and that's one of the that's one of Konoe's solutions is to just grow giant legs. Yeah. Um. Um, I, I think I think that's that's about as much of this season as uh, as this season of TQ requires. Um, right. I would say yeah. So I'd say my favorite episodes are sixty one and sixty eight. If people go back and look at them. Yeah, that's those were kind of my notes as well for those. I, I was I did. It took a while to get to Namek uh, commentary, I guess, on Dragon Ball. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that was okay. Uh, yeah, uh, but I did appreciate. I, I did like the final, the season ender where they were actually at Namek. I think one of my, I didn't like the season as much as past seasons, and I think it was because they had a, a uh, an enhanced focus on the not main girls yeah. because we had a lot more Kondo and Tomarin, yeah. and I'm they're just not. I I don't like them as much as I like the other ones, and I realize that they're trying to kind of spice up the show because it's been going on, I think, way longer than they ever anticipated. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Good note to end on. So, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Um, That's what we have to offer this week from Koshian Cast. So, uh, without belaboring things any further, Matt, would you uh, do the honors of hitting the credits for me? Oh, I guess... Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. 
You can follow Koshiencast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiencast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.